0: a podcast from premier unbelievable
1: Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Matters of Life and Death. As always, I'm Tim White and I'm joined by my dad John White. Hi dad. Hi Tim. Um, And today, I'm kind of handing the reins over to you to kind of lead this discussion because it was your initiative. Um, You you spotted a a really interesting video from a a group called the the Center for Humane Technology, I think they're called. Um, And it was a couple of guys there, Tristan Harris and and someone else I've momentarily forgotten the name of. We'll put a link in the podcast description. It was kind of a call to arms uh, warning people that there is a coming wave of, of artificial intelligence software which is going to upend society as we know it and kind of a desperate attempt and a plea to, to grab people's attention and start thinking about this before it happens. Is that is that a fair summary?
0: Yes, I think it is. I mean, uh, as everybody knows, these new... Um, we, the overall term is generative AI, which... Uh, incredibly sophisticated computer programs which are able to generate large quantities not only of text but of other things like images like music, like videos. Um, th- this technology ha- has been being developed for years uh, in research labs and it's really only very recently that it's been they've been released into the public. Um, domain and and in particular this uh, the company OpenAI produced a chatbot called ChatGPT, and for the for the first time, uh, the general public had access to um, to one of these new AI programs, and um, it's fascinating that um, the take up rate of ChatGPT has completely overwhelmed every single other technology ever been released and and i think it went up to a hundred million in the space of a couple of months far faster take up around the world and it that level of take up just reflects the fascination that people have with with these new technologies um and that ever since then i've been trying to Um, get my head round uh, these new technologies and try to understand what what the relevance is, uh, particularly for Christians and for people of faith. Um, And I only recently come across this um, video. It's now a long video produced by the Center for Humane Technology called The AI Dilemma. And uh, many listeners will have come across a video a film uh, some years ago called the social dilemma and it's the same people who who produced that uh, video which dealt with social media and it's the risks of social media who've now produced a video about these new artificial intelligence and they basically drawing a very interesting uh, comparison between what happened with social media and they call that f- humanity's first contact with uh, artificial intelligence. And now what's happening with this generative AI, which they call humanity's second contact. And it's really looking at that parallels um, and seeing what what is going to be the implications of this second contact, of this completely new and different kind of AI.
1: Yeah, and there's quite a striking kind of analogy they draw at the start. Um, where where Tristan Harris, one of the guys giving this presentation, says we're, we're at a similar stage as though it's 1944 and the Manhattan Project is, you know, six to nine months away from perfecting the world's first nuclear weapon. Uh, and people like Robert Oppenheimer, some of the scientists behind this are kind of starting to wonder, hang on, what, what are we doing here? What are we building here? What are we making? What are we unleashing on the world? And I think for a lot of people, me included, that's quite a jarring analogy when, when you know, we've all had a play around with chat GPT. We might have tried to generate some some AI pictures on things like Midjourney or Dolly and, and other kind of programs. And, and you know, I, we've seen lots of Christians who have been kind of putting up videos of it, of getting chatbots to write you sermon outlines or, or write a new worship song. And it's kind of amusing. It's a bit of a toy. It seems fairly inconsequential at this stage. And yet these people highly tech literate, intelligent, well-informed people saying that it's where the world is about to change in as fundamental a way as nuclear weapons change the second half of the 20th century. Uh, how do you kind of reconcile that dissonance that people feel that this technology is fundamentally kind of trivial and fun and yet these people are saying it's as momentous and potentially destructive as the nuclear bomb?
0: yeah and it is um it is an extraordinary comparison and i agree with you that the the initial reaction is this is just ridiculous this is completely overblown and these guys must be just you know you you don't have to go very far on twitter to find lunatics talking about the end of the world from you know mercury in fillings to uh... 5g phone masts remember that one <laughs> yeah. Vaccines vaccine. and on and on and on and on, you know that. And here's yet another uh, proclaiming the end of the world. I, I do think there are important differences, and I think that it it was the work of the the centre and the people around them which did ultimately lead to an open letter being released, um, a, a calling on manufacturers to uh, pause research and release of these of this AI and that that open letter was released in um, end of March and if you look at the signatories of that letter it's immediately obvious that these are not a load of bunch of of freak uh, enthusiasts because Those signatures include some of the leading AI scientists in the world and other very eminent scientists and commentators. So, I think that the the sort of people who are expressing concern here uh, are not the sort of people who it's very easy to dismiss as the usual subjects, uh, suspects, and cranks, and so on. Hmm.
1: What do you make of the argument that you sometimes I sometimes come across that that um, the people who are kind of shouting from the rooftops about the dangers here have fundamentally like overblown the capacities and capabilities of AI, which is at heart a very, very clever kind of autocomplete. you know all that chat GPT is really doing is it has scanned trillions of words uh, of written language across the internet and it's very, very, very good at, at predicting in what what word might come next. And it just does that over millions and millions of times and is, has basically figured out a way to mimic, it looks like it's talking to you, it looks like it's creating things, but it's not. There's no um, God in the machine, you know, there's no, there's no soul behind this. This is just simply reproducing and remixing and mashing up texts that, that other human beings have written down elsewhere. And, and it looks cool and it's a bit creepy, but fundamentally to argue that this is about to overturn the world and change everything, it just can only be overblown.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's important to distinguish two, two different things going on here. Um, one is a genuine scientific and academic debate going on as to what is actually going, how are these things work? Um, what is actually going on within the black box of these immensely complicated machines? And there is a genuine academic debate going on there. And I've been following that debate with great interest. And what is interesting to me is that, that that debate is shifting. So a month ago, when these things first came out, I think the vast majority of informed wisdom would have agreed with you. This is nothing more than very, very sophisticated Auto-complete, uh, just just parroting out stuff that it has no understanding of. Interestingly, that debate is definitely shifting, and the more that people are going into recognizing the extraordinary, unexpected abilities that these machines are demonstrating, more and more people, myself included, have come to the conclusion that actually there is a form of understanding going on here it's not human understanding it's a completely different kind but it but is it is simple it is more that there is genuinely things emerging here coming that are not explicable as simple uh, at a at a simply mechanical repetitive level that's one debate and i think that debate will continue for what it's worth and it's something we can discuss and I'm going to try and write about this some more but the second debate is actually I think the much more the important one and that is whether or not how whatever is going on in the black box and the honest truth is we still don't understand it at all even the greatest experts cannot understand how these how why it is so good at doing what it's doing whatever is going on in the black box it's the question is the consequences of releasing this stuff into the general population because what we're all seeing is that it is getting better and better at an extraordinary rate. Um, And number one, number two, there is an arms race going on, which with the best uh, computer scientists in the world, the best equipment in the world, the best, um, Resources with almost unlimited money because and you know because we have a small number of enormous players, which is Microsoft, Google, Meta, um, formerly Facebook, Amazon, Apple. And all of these computers are uh, all of these companies are literally sitting sitting on tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars and virtually unlimited resources and they're in a fight to the death because they sense that whoever wins this race could clean up commercially and they might end up, the losers might end up like the Nokia in the, hmm. in in the mobile phones or whatever. Hmm. Um, or the BlackBerry. I don't know if you remember the BlackBerry at the yeah. time. That was, you know, state of the art. Had a moment, and then was and then it disappears. <laughs> By so smartphone. So once you've got this runaway commercial competition, plus the best computers and the best scientists, how can we predict what's going to happen? Uh, certainly, our ability to predict what was going to happen over the last few months was completely wrong. Um, how do we know what the next few months are going to hold?
1: And it's the comparison with social media that I find, I think, most compelling about this argument. And so they, as you said, they, can, they say, you know, without realizing when, when the social media kind of exploded over the last 15 years, there was a basic form of AI involved there, which is about the algorithm and, and about how social media firms created these algorithms, which then it said, you know, do what you need to do to maximize people's engagement and attention, to keep them scrolling, to keep them clicking, to keep them watching keep them tweeting and posting and that was um and that as we are all kind of increasingly aware of basically spun out of control and ended up with a whole bunch of this kind of like quite negative outcomes about you know polarization and the growth of fake news and mental health epidemic on apps like instagram um you know and there's now like huge geopolitical ructions over things like tiktok um you know, a video sharing app that teenagers use to kind of lip sync over do silly dances is now kind of shaping the Cold War between the U.S. and China. And I think their argument is is that 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 kind of crude AI about about harnessing and trying to, you know, tap into human beings' psychological biases and and mental frailties in a way in any way they can to keep them clicking and to keep them spending more time on the app has ended up now meaning social media is kind of spread and, and got its tentacles into politics and into business and into health and is very, very hard to disentangle. And their argument is AI is going to do the same. And we need to, we need to address this before it becomes so deeply enmeshed and entangled with society in the way that social media is. You know, you can't just turn off social media um even if, you know, none of the companies would agree to obviously because they make they make money from it. But even if we did want like
0: it's so embedded and enmeshed. Um
1: I, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think um I think the comparison is is very interesting and, and as you say, persuasive, because of course their point is that nobody saw this coming. No. And and they didn't intend it. It was nobody, you know, the people who invented twitter and initiated twitter and facebook and and all the rest they didn't they're they they did not have a malevolent aim to entrap teenagers around the world to create an epidemic of mental health issues and you know and terrible things have happened across the world because of social media i mean there have been race riots people have died genocide and, uh, genocide yeah, you know and so on and so on so yeah. so um, none of them intended that this was sort of unintended consequences of a simple little algorithm which tried to maximize people's engagement and the the comparison which I find very interesting is they're saying that whereas that first as they call it first contact with AI was all based around attention and the intention economy what they're saying is that in this new uh, version of AI, because it's, it's about this ability to generate endless amounts of language. They think that it's principally about persuasion that the, that what is being developed is technology, which is able to produce uh, text at industrial scale, but which text, which can be constantly modulated and improved to have the maximum Persuasive power or manipulative power, and um, the the thought will be that the that all our spheres of communication, whatever they are, email, um, the internet, uh, news media, political discussion, and so on, all of it is going to become completely saturated with computer generated text um because it will turn out that computer generated text is more effective at persuading than the human persuaders um because it's based on s- a vast resources and sophisticated programming and therefore it uh, they use this very colorful idea that it's k- kind of hacking into the human operating system They're, because language is a is all the, is the primary way in which human beings communicate once you've got this tool that can produce language you've got the possibility of hacking into um all forms of human communication and and because at least at the moment it's impossible to detect how do you know whether this is a genuine human being trying to persuade you using genuinely rational arguments or whether this text has been crafted uh, to be to have the most impact on hundreds of thousands of people across the web.
1: Hmm. Well, here's another piece of scepticism then, um, as I remain relatively unconvinced, at least of the gravity of the problem as they see it. If you read any piece of text by ChatGPT, you know, it's pretty. It's impressive in how close it gets, but it is not anywhere close to genuinely being able to replace the moderately literate human adult human beings' ability to manipulate and use language. Now, of course, yeah. you'll say they'll get better every year. This is an exponential curve we're on. But I've heard that story on Tekken many, many times. I mean, yeah. I, rem- I remember. It was 2010 that Apple introduced the Siri kind of uh, virtual voice assistant on their phones. And we were told then, you know, it, it, it's not just about setting timers where you're cooking or asking, you know, who's the president and how old are they? It, it's, it, it can do much more. And True. we're now 13 years on and it is fundamentally yeah, yeah. still about checking fact, basic factual questions and setting timers. And here's another example. I remember reading a very compelling article in 2013 about self-driving cars which basically said, if you track the rate of improvement, technology is going to be fully autonomous within five to six years. That's now 10 years on. And as we all know, self-driving cars, while impressive, are very far from being fully autonomous. Do you not think we're at the same curve here where a new tech rockets upwards and everyone gets completely blown up and saying, well, if this rate of increase in, in, in progress improves forever, then yes, this will become a kind of, You know, uh, Terminator-style multi-multi intelligent being, but it's going to plateau like every other technology ever, always has.
0: Well, I just hope you're right, Tim. You might be. I mean, and to be honest, you know, I pray God. I don't say that lightly. I pray God you're right, and that this thing has some fundamental flaw which has not yet been recognised, and that it simply can't go beyond a scale. But I fear you're wrong, and. Part of the reason I fear that is already you don't know. You say that um, you can spot stuff produced by ChatGPT, and I tell you, you can't. <laughs> Not by these. In other words, that wonderfully persuasive text that you thought was being produced by a human, how do you know? How do you know it wasn't? At least crafted in in, heart, in part by um, programmes. And... I can virtually, we, for instance, it's already the editors of scientific research journals are now expressing deep concern because they are worried that a significant number of articles that they've already passed that have gone through peer review and are in the process of being published have actually been generated by. These these programs again, at least in part, and there's with absolutely no way you can know from 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 well, human beings. Let's we be hope. Honest. How do we know? <laughs> and that's the you see. That's the crux of the problem. If you can't tell, if you don't know, and and it's only going to get better. And how much better? We don't know. But given the speed with which this thing, just in the last few months has outstripped people's ability and the interesting thing is that a lot of the people who are expressing concern are actually the people inside the companies so again these are not these are not people who are a million miles away that's just the ones who are playing with the next generation and the things that haven't yet been released so I I think there is lots of reason for concern nobody can predict the future I mean one one of the I think helpful comments which is often made about technology I think is true and that it's very often what happens is we overestimate the impact in the short term and we underestimate the impact in the long term and I think social media would be a good example of that you know people thought it was going to change everything well it didn't but in the long term we now see it is continuing to have an extraordinary impact and I suspect the same will be true about this I think a lot of the hype will prove to be overblown but I I think one of my greatest concerns is just about democracy how how is it possible for democracy to survive if I can never know whether the people who are persuading me are actually using AI generated um, text or not and if the internet is completely flooded so it's, you know just take an american election for example if the internet is flooded by one set of computers producing the most persuasive arguments in favor of um, the republican party and another set of computers producing the most persuasive arguments <clears throat> and data and uh, websites and you name it uh, quotations in favor of the Democrats, is it possible for democracy to survive? Isn't it really who who has the biggest computing spend? And and will it start to turn out that actually totalitarian governments are, are the only ones that can ultimately survive uh, in in this new age? of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable.
1: Yeah, and I guess that in the presentation, the talk, they make make the point that, you know, a lot of people who fear slowing down development of AI in the West make the case that if we do that, then it lets China win because they're not going to slow down because they don't have the same ethical concerns we have. But it's interesting that while there are lots of Chinese companies working on exactly the same uh large language models uh, that we're seeing in with chat gpt etc here in the west um as far as i'm aware the chinese authorities have not allowed any of them to kind of be opened up to to the public in the same way you know put bluntly they're not going to let a computer program start chatting away to chinese citizens if they can be and until they can be sure it won't start talking about what happened in tiananmen square and so actually the totalitarian governments on the other side of the kind of Iron curtain of the internet age are are ironically not kind of using their populations as a test bed as guinea pigs
0: for this this new technology. That's right, and of course, it it, it, it that's the difference between where it's primarily commercial uh, motivation in the West, which is driving this and the competition. I mean, this is the terrible irony, isn't it? Because of course, it we all understand that economically, that capitalist free market where there's freedom to innovate, and to compete. So that, you know, it's survival of the fittest in the, in the sort of raw capitalist sense. Um, That's why the Western technology companies are leading the world still. And um, because of the power of this free market capitalist Mm. um, economy. And yet, Uh, Ironically, it's that very free market capitalist economy that is driving this, um, this race and which is driven primarily by investors and shareholders. And even if the chief executives of these companies wanted to call a halt, they're at risk of just being replaced by the shareholders because the commercial pressures are so enormous.
1: And you get a kind of um, tragedy of the commons effect, aren't they? Because every one of these, you know, admittedly relatively small number of tech companies that are working on this technology, um, each one of them knows if they do the quote-unquote responsible thing and slow down, and maybe they don't release chat GPT-4 to the public, or, or or maybe they, you know, they take a bit more time to think about some of the unforeseen consequences before they plow ahead with the next generation. Their competitors will just grab that as an opportunity and rush into the gap in the market filled by them, and so no, none of the individuals they have to, it's a collective actor problem. They all have to move together, or no one will 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 jump off the train because they can't risk, as you say, being being left behind. Because it be it's too commercially um, devastating if they miss out on on the presuming kind of t- hundreds of billions of dollars of of revenue that are coming for the people who kind of perfect this and turn it into workable, profitable products.
0: And that was exactly the point of the open letter uh, was to call on all the players to agree together uh, to this kind of pause um, in order to try and avoid that. But sadly, you know, it's now nearly a month since that open letter was released and we're seeing absolutely no evidence that any of the big players are holding back. So I suspect it's not going to happen. So, I mean... You know, as we just sort of step back and reflect about this, what possible solution is there? And I, and again, from a Christian point of view, what possible solution is there? I mean, from a Christian point of view, we recognise that because of the fallenness of human beings, that it's not that surprising that this that greed uh, for for wealth um, m- could overcome all other possible restraints it's not terribly surprising and therefore christians in have always held for some kind of government regulation ultimately it's the government who has the responsibility to rule to maintain justice to protect the vulnerable and um you know as as paul said in in the letter romans that the the Emperor holds the sword of God um and and has the right to use that sword.
1: but it feels a little depressing if I'm honest that you know we talk this through and and then we come to kind of thinking about it as people of faith and and all we really have to hope for is that maybe our largely secular governments will become interested enough to step in and and spend the billions that was required to kind of face down the the tech lobby. Because the only power in society that is greater than than you know apple facebook meta Amazon these are literally the the richest companies in the world. you know these are the these are the rockefellers of the day um or if almost unlimited amount of money to spend, the only power that is capable of restraining them is the power of the u s government frankly or possibly the european union and they and they are only going to respond to to pressure from below to pressure from. From ordinary people who say this matters enough to me that I'm gonna, it's actually going to shape who I vote for and and how i how I direct my activism and it feels to me a bit a bit bleak as a Christian to say that's all we've really got we haven't really got any other things we haven't really got any fresh perspectives to or, or kind of hope hope in this sense beyond a kind of um let's hope that the government pulls its finger out and regulators roll their sleeves up
0: yeah and and one of the really important points in all this is there's a terrible imbalance in in, in arms you know that the the tech companies have got all the the best brains the best lobbyists the best you know unlimited funds and all the rest and when you look at the capability of the regulatory authorities um they you know they're they're very very under um resourced and uh, don't have the same quality of personnel and all the rest so so this is this is isn't this interesting because this is really where democracy struggles and and i i suspect that increasingly that we're going to hear voices arguing for some kind of authoritarian approach you know democracy unfortunately seems broken Uh, it seems incapable of uh, mobilising rapidly in order to restrict uh, these kind of developments. And increasingly, the kind of authoritarian approach of China and other authoritarian regimes, I I think ordinary people will start to say, well, it must be better than this.
1: And there are certainly You don't have to look hard to find Christian voices making that case you know, you, you know you, the kind of populist nationalist fringe of the religious right, which you increasingly find people suggesting that actually we need a bit more kind of government top-down power and a bit less kind of laissez-faire capitalism and, and market liberalism. Um, and I think you're right that, that those calls are only going to increase, particularly as people feel themselves in a kind of generational geopolitical struggle with a competitor like China, without any of the kind of ethical scruples or, or values restraining it that we
0: have. One of the fascinating things from a completely different direction is that I've often noticed when you read science fiction, um, predicting the future and how mankind will, um, will respond to overwhelming technological challenges and threats, uh, one of the very common themes that comes out of science fiction is that there has to be a world government uh, that that nationalism is ultimately dead, and that the only way of controlling technology is to move towards some kind of world um, world government, and, and you know at the moment that just seems laughable, doesn't it? I mean because things like the United Nations. Have become and utterly, this yeah, mired and, and and irrelevant, and yet um, you can see the logic behind it that these things are bigger than any one nation state. Mm. And I have to say, as a point of another point of
1: skepticism here, when you take the long view in history, there have been many moments in the past when the same argument has been made that that Western liberal democracy is. Is decadent and is being outstripped by leaner, faster, hungrier forms of government, mostly authoritarian, not into various strips, and and it won't be able to mobilize to re to meet the challenge of the day. And for the last century or more, that those those predictions have been proven false, and that actually, thus far, uh, democracy as we know it, Western kind of liberal free market capitalism, has. Uh, innovated and flexed and has come under enormous strain at various points in history but it has survived and frankly outlived its competitor systems. Um, and so I just think yeah I would just have again have a little note of caution from history that it's 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 often quite tempting to, to conclude that this is this is new and unheard of and and our our kind of seemingly fragile system of government will be swept away. But, you know, as President Putin is discovering, the West has more resilience than I think many of its detractors give it credit for.
0: Um, Yeah, I I think it's absolutely right. And, and of course, there are sort of theological reasons why that's the case, because democracy is a system which recognises the value and significance of everybody, not just the rich and the powerful. That it is uh, ultimately based on truth, on persuasion, on you know that that democratic societies depend on a free press, they depend on the rule of law, they depend on public debate, um, and that um, and the reason they do that is because the reason they're successful is because they reflect the nature of God Himself. They and and. And what it means to be human, and how what human flourishing is based on, is most likely in a system which is free, which reflects truth, um, and so on.
1: The, and it the,
0: go on. I was going to say, and it's
1: and it's it's been a temptation for Christians since the the literal earlier church in the first century to wonder, well, maybe we could manipulate the power of the state towards a kind of Christian end um, and, you know and you had debates you know in the era of, of Augustine about whether that would be the Roman Empire and if we could maybe grab the levers of power of the Roman Empire maybe and we could we could we could do make a great dent for the kingdom in, in X Y and Z way and at every time that that is broadly I would argue being a bit of a dead end and that actually the gospel thrives often in persecution and under attack from the state, or in free societies in which we use persuasion, and not coercion to try to try and win people to Christ, and even to shape culture in in kind of Christ centered ways.
0: Exactly. And I would very much support that. And certainly, you know, if I think back, you know, decades ago, that idea that we shouldn't, we must never try and impose our view on a secular world but we are free in a democratic society to try and persuade to to have an ethical apologetics to to argue for um a christian understanding the problem with that is our freedom to persuade only works in a public square that isn't completely swamped by artificial persuaders and uh I, re- I think this is a new threat. This, it, this has never really been there before. This, and historically, democracy has, has weathered many different storms, but uh, there seems to be something about this particular storm. And, and unless democratic governments can get control on the public square and prevent it from being completely overwhelmed by um, artificial persuasion i i fear that um a genuine open truthful democracy um is is under enormous threat
1: and we talked about how you know if if we'd gone back to the early days of social media and said you know if i'd if i could take a time machine back to 2007 And warn that this little thing where you send text messages of 140 characters and they appear on what's called a micro blogging website will end up being, you know, the kind of bizarre behemoth that is Twitter with all its um, corrupting influence in 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 politics or, you know, this weird app where you can put a filter on your pictures of your night out will end up introducing, you know, tens of millions of teenage girls to crippling anxiety and, and depression no one would believe me. And that was true, as true in the church as it was in wider society. People were just completely blindsided by this. And all the conversation now in the church is really about picking up the pieces at at the back end of the kind of social media revolution. Talking about how, you know, how can you parent well in an an age of TikTok and Snapchat and all that stuff. Do you think, honestly, hand on heart, the same is going to be true of the AI revolution, that the church is going to be behind the curve as the rest of society is and we're going to really only engage with this theologically and spiritually when it comes to how do we live now in this new world rather than trying to shape the new world as it is being formed.
0: I mean, it's a very depressing (laughs) prospect. (laughs) And you may be right. Um, I suppose trying desperately to find (laughs) (laughs) glimmers of hope, one of them is that there are huge numbers of Christians working in the tech industry. I mean, you know, actually there are um, armies of Christian nerds and geeks who, uh, many of whom are working uh, either in these big companies or in startups. And not only Christians, there are many other people who have genuine concerns. They're not that interested in shareholder value. They have genuine concerns about um, the good they want to feel to go to bed at night and feel you know having spent my work in google or in microsoft i've done something good for for humankind and so my hope and prayer is is if it's possible to um encourage christians and fellow travelers who are really concerned about this and who do work in the industry and who do have potential power to to come together and to exert influence from the inside and and perhaps what we need to do from the outside as christians is to say how can we resource and encourage people who do have influence we're not completely powerless and um give them the resources and the tools which will help them uh and envision them to make a difference
1: and I know from the emails we received, a handful of them even listened to this very podcast, <laughs> would you believe? Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, all right, shall we, call it, shall we call it quits there? I think we probably rambled long enough for today. Um, but that does remind me to say, if you've um, got any thoughts on what we've been talking about or anything you'd like to kind of flag up, tip us off, we're always really interested to hear from listeners. And in particular, uh, questions on this topic or anything else um, that interests you, we're going to be running more of those Q&A episodes Uh, in the coming weeks so please do get in touch you can email molad m-o-l-a-d at premier.org.uk particularly if you disagree strongly or or or, or anything else we'd love to hear from you Um, and all as always don't forget to check out dad's website johnwyatt.com, lots of interesting resources and materials there Um, and we'll be back with another episode next week until then bye bye
0: Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. At a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community.